Well, we're in the last week of a series that we're calling Fresh Starts and Next Steps. And at Velocity, we believe that everyone, everyone has a next step. And I just want to highlight one, one before I jump into the message, and that is joining a group. Joining a group. A group is, you know, it's important what we do on Sundays and what we hear when we're in rows, but it's more important what we hear and what we have healing from in circles. And that's why finding a group, finding your circle is so important to us. And I just want to highlight one story in the Bible that illustrates this for me. And it's found in uh, John chapter 11. And there was a man named Lazarus. You may have heard this story. He, he died and Jesus wept. And there's this uh, amazing mourning period. But Jesus came to the tomb where Lazarus was dead. He was bound and he was in the tomb. And he said, Lazarus, come out of your grave. You come out of your grave right now. Jesus called him to a second life. He resurrected him. And the important thing is, of course, that Jesus calls us out of our tomb. He, he gives us new life. But this is the important thing, is that he commanded his friends to unbind him. Do you hear what I said? That Jesus called him out, but he commanded his friends to unbind him. And I love how pastor said it last week, that in 1 John 1, 9, we receive forgiveness from God through Jesus. And in James 5.16, we receive healing from God through other believers. So we don't just need friends who are going to watch the game with us tonight. But we need friends who are going to help unbind things that are on the inside of us. And so I just want to implore you, beg you, whatever I need to do to join a group. It's going to help you. It's going to benefit you. And so you can do that. Uh, we have the QR codes everywhere. But, and, and Josh is going to talk about it later. But please, please, please go to our church guide. Find a group. Find your circle. All right. Let's jump in to our first scripture for today. And if you brought your Bible, you can find it right now in Mark 16, 9 through 10. And a little context before we read our two verses for today is that at Velocity, we really do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God wrapped in flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. He was wrongfully accused, beaten, mocked, and crucified for all of the world's sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was risen. He he rose again and he is alive. He ascended into heaven. And he is coming back again. This is what we believe. This is so important that you know that we believe it. But if you don't know what you believe, or maybe you come in here with questions, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. This is a safe place to ask questions. I have questions. I have a lot of questions. So it's okay. Bring your questions. Jesus isn't intimidated by your questions. And so this is the the scene this is the, the, the picture that we have for these two verses is that we're at the tomb in the garden and these women had, who had been following Jesus had brought spices and they were coming to anoint Jesus' dead body, with, which is a, a burying ritual for the Hebrew people. And they found that the stone was rolled away, that Jesus was not in the tomb. And this is Mark 16, 9 through 10. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. All right, let's bow your heads. It's our custom to pray before we get in. Uh, I know I can use some prayer, so would you pray with me? Lord, I need you. 
God, I don't want to communicate anything of my flesh or my own desires, but God, but by your spirit. And so, God, I just ask that your spirit would come upon me right now and help me speak. God, that it would be your words and not my words. God, we know that every time we open up your word or we hear from you, God, it's going to help us. It's going to, it's going to help grow us and make everything in our life more fulfilling. And so, God, we just ask that you would do it again. Holy Spirit, translate and make this message to ev- fit every single situation in this room. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, you can say amen. Amen. If or with it being Super Bowl Sunday today, uh, I want to ask, has anyone attended a live sporting event where the team, or it was a game where they, uh, they, they had a last-second buzzer beater or a, a last-two-minute drill drive that they won the game or it was a, you know, they won on PKs or it was a last-second goal? Has anyone been to a game like that? Yeah, there's, there's nothing like it, especially when it's your team that wins. It's an incredible experience. And maybe, maybe there's the same amount of people. I don't know. I was curious to know, this I think will be less people, but has anyone in the room been the person to score? So th- th- this is any level. You don't have to do it in college. Or you Just any level. Have you been the person to score the game-winning goal, the game-winning basket? We got one. Two, three. This is more than I thought. This, we have a great, this is a clutch church. Ice in our veins. This is great. Well, you know that one guy, you know, or girl, there's that one person in your life who, you know, is always living in the good old days of, you know, high school sports. And they always say, if I was just four inches taller, I would have been somebody. Do you know that person? Are you, are you that person? <laughs> it was really quiet. <laughs> Yikes. Our conviction's already coming. But I'm going to be that person today, okay? And, but I'm going to do it about middle school, okay? So I'm going to really impress you uh, in middle school intramural basketball, eighth grade year. Yeah, let's go. You guys are so supportive. You're better than my friends, I feel like. But the... I just want to paint the picture of what this was like. There's five foot one, uh, really, really swoopy emo hair. You know what I'm talking about? Where now I have neck pain because I was just like flipping it around. And really, really chubby, really chubby Andrew. Eighth grade year. This is the picture, okay? There's, this is a semifinal game of intramural basketball. The important thing is the final the final, we got to play in front of the entire school. So this is a big deal. So whoever won this game got to go on and play in the finals. So this is the semifinal, though. And I had the ball, 10 seconds left. I don't know why they gave me the ball, but I had the ball. I, f- I faked le- right, and then I went left. And that was probably my first mistake, <laughs> is going to my left hand. But then I got to the baseline, and I put up a prayer, a Hail Mary, the the. I had no idea what was going to happen. A 15-footer, my best friend was guarding me. His name's Teddy, a head taller than me. He's actually good at basketball. And I hear the best sound, the best sound you can hear. Swish. And the crowd, there's no crowd. My team goes wild. Everybody is going crazy. They come and pick me up on their shoulders. It was an amazing moment. I, I mean, the good old days, you know what I'm saying? And then we went to the finals and lost by 30. So we don't need to talk about that, though, in front of the whole school. It was 
bad. <laughs> it was bad. But that's what exactly what I imagine Mary feeling like in this moment is Jesus calls out to her in the garden and she was tasked with carrying the single most defining moment in history back to people who thought it was all lost. And when God needed someone to take the most important message ever to the world, he called out Mary. And which brings me to the title of my message today on Super Bowl Sunday, Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Now, there are a lot of things that you can think of when you think of a Hail Mary. It could be 13 seconds left and there's little hope and you need to call a Hail Mary. It's more like a slant or into that little pocket to Travis Kelsey. But whatever it is, it's, it's a last ditch play that is usually unsuccessful in football. But you might have also heard about it as a prayer, the Hail Mary. And I just want to really clarify this point that we uh, are not talking about that prayer. And we are not talking about the Virgin Mary or Jesus' mother. We are talking about Mary Magdalene. So not the Mary that is pure, but the Mary with a past. You got it? And this is the, the Mary really that I relate to more. And I would venture to say that we relate to more. And when I landed on talking about Mary Magdalene today, I, I'm talking about this seminal moment in the garden. I wanted to trace back to where her story began. What's her origin story? What, what is she, what's her history? And what I thought was really interesting was that in all of my research, there was not really much about her at all or her story. And what we do know is she was credited in all four gospel accounts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, she was credited for being present at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And then she was present later at the grave, like we just read. But before that, really can't find that much about her. In fact, there's only one passage of scripture before the cross and the empty grave with her in it. And it's found in Luke chapter eight, one through three. And it says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So what do we know about Mary? It's three things. She's from Magdala, which was a fishing city located in lower Galilee or northern Israel near uh, Capernaum, six miles away from Capernaum. And Capernaum is really important because that's the epicenter of Jesus' public ministry. The second thing is she had a transformative encounter with the living God that healed her and set her free from what she was dealing with. She had a fresh start. And then the third thing we see is that she and other women followed Jesus with the disciples. It wasn't just dudes. But these women came along and followed and served him with whatever they had. In other words, she had next steps. And that's it. That's really all scripture says about her, which is so surprising considering she was tasked with carrying the message that Jesus is not dead, but he is risen. Out of all the people that God could have chosen for this moment, God chose her. And notice that I said her. I do want to draw on the significance right now of God choosing a woman to be the first to carry this message. It is not a coincidence that God chose a woman to carry something so significant in a society and culture that viewed women more or less as property. God could have chosen anyone, and he chose her. 
So maybe you feel like Mary today in that your life is a long shot or you've been rejected or someone told you that you wouldn't amount to much or anything. And what makes Jesus different is that the people that culture push out are the very people that Jesus invites in. And this isn't just a radical cultural thought of exclusion right now because maybe you relate to that. But it's extremely radical when Mary was healed too. And so you have to understand the, the context of her fresh start to understand the significance of why she followed him with next steps. The context is this, is at that time, the understanding was God's holy and consuming presence was in the temple in a separate room called the holiest of holies. So his presence now is an indwelling in all believers. His presence is here. It's in this room. It's, it's not just in a temple in the most holiest of holies. But then this room was set aside for the presence of God. So holiness can be kind of a strange word but it simply means to be set apart or to be different. It's higher. But in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament, God's holiness was completely good. So this was true, completely good, and both completely dangerous. What I mean is you can compare it to the sun, which is our life source. Without the sun, wouldn't have anything, right? It is, compl- it is a good thing. It brings warmth and, and brings life. But if you get too close to the sun, you're destroyed. It's dangerous to be close to something holy. So if we, in our impurity, in our imperfection, came in close contact with his purity and holiness, we would be destroyed. But later in the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophet Isaiah in a dream or a vision and gave him a picture of what the future of interacting with his holy and great and awesome presence would be. It says this in Isaiah 6, 5. It says, Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. This is him dreaming. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I have been in the presence of the Holy One in this dream. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So in this vision from God, this pure and holy stone touched Isaiah's lips. And instead of him being destroyed, his guilt was taken away. He was made holy. His past was taken away. His ten, sin taken away. And this is exactly what happened with Mary. And this is what the, pro- the prophecy was all about. Her demons and her past must have forced her to isolate and live away from people who were right or pure or good. So she lived a life defined by her past. But as soon as her seven demons or as soon as her past came in contact with the holiness of the living God, our Savior Jesus, she was set free. It was the opposite with what society and tradition excluded, Jesus included. So we're living in today what Isaiah, Isaiah dreamt then, that when we confess with our mouths the power and the resurrection of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, when we put that stone to our lips, we are set free. We're not, we're not judged anymore. We're not living away from God anymore, but we actually have God inside of us. We are made holy. We're made right by this pure and great stone. So the problem I see so often, though, in myself 
in others is that we find Jesus, but we don't follow him. We have a fresh start, but we don't take a next step. This is a problem. And Dr. Victor, Victor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor, and went on to be an influential psychologist and philosopher. So obviously, this man under immense amount of pain and then found freedom when he was liberated said this, freedom, however, is not the last word. Freedom is only part of the story and half of the truth. Freedom is but the negative aspect of the whole phenomenon whose positive aspect is responsibleness. In fact, freedom is in danger of degenerating into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsibleness. That is why I recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast be supplemented by the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. It's a really interesting thought. In other words, we get the freedom, but we don't follow. Salvation happens, but we don't get sanctification. Salvation is only part of what Jesus wants to offer you, which is a great thing. We are freed from our past, but it's not the only thing that Jesus wants to offer you. Sanctification, and that's just something that means to be set apart for sacred use. So he wants to use you in a way and and make you holy like you are. I love that we sang that, that we are your people and you are our God. We are your temple. Make us holy like you are. That's sanctification. And this is the responsibility, in the words of Viktor Frankl, of every believer. This is what we miss if we get a fresh start, but we don't take the next steps in following Jesus. So we have this life-defining moment of putting our dependence on the authority of Jesus to the pendulum slowly swinging towards wanting our own independence. So there's no better place that I can illustrate this in my life than watching the developmental stages of my two children. And so my wife and I, we have two children. Uh, We have a 21-month-old daughter, and we've both agreed that at 24 months, we're going to stop doing the months thing. Isn't that weird? Yeah, my my son is 37 months. I feel he is three, right? If, If that's you, I'm really sorry, but I just think that's weird. So... We, we have a 21-month-old daughter, and we have a one-month-old son. And so we're not sleeping. But most nights, between starting dinner and going to bed, uh, this is the good kind of chaos. It's most nights, really it is. It's a good kind of chaos. There's laughter. There's energy. It's really good, but it's chaos. <laughs> and there was one night, though, that it was definitely the bad kind of chaos, and it went very quickly into the bad kind of chaos, and it was completely overwhelming and overstimulating. Uh, There was yelling, which turned into angry silence, which turned into a brooding self-isolation in a separate room, and that's just what I did that night. (laughs) And I I was completely overwhelmed, in part because I had to submit to someone else's needs in that moment, and all I wanted to do was what I wanted to do. It's all I wanted to do was just what I wanted to do. But okay, I can, we can move on from that. This, this is my real point. It's, but you can see the whole spectrum of independency and dependency in my two children. So with my son, we start out, the life, our, start out our life completely dependent of our life source. So he cannot be without my wife, really. 
And then later, you can have my daughter. And slowly over time, (laughs) close to two years old, slowly over time, our want for self-defining autonomy takes hold. Even though we know, we know this, she knows this, even though she knows who we are, who, who is taking care of her wants the best for her and know what's best for her. She still wants this self-defining autonomy, even though these two things are true, that we, we want what's best for her. And I would argue we know better than her, at least, <laughs> what's best for her. Does that make sense? It's, so we are dependent in our fresh start with Jesus, but we are independent with our next steps. And this makes me think back to one detail that was in both the beginning of Mary's story and at the end of her story. I don't know if you caught it. It's Luke 8, 2. It says, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons came out. And then later it says in Mark 16, 9 through 10, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons, seven. So anytime God mentions something twice, there's significance and we probably better listen. So what is the significance of seven demons? And the Bible uses the number seven a ton from uh, Jericho uh, in the walking around the walls seven times and it would crumble to Jesus uh, with forgiveness. One of the things he said is how often should we forgive uh, our loved ones, the people who do us wrong is 70 times seven. And so seven is everywhere in the Bible. It's used as a theme of completion or perfection, exoneration or healing, the fulfillment of promises. So what we can gather is that Mary's old way of walking was being bound by these seven demons. It was a defining part of her thinking, of her theology or how she thought of God, which translated to the fruit of her living. So it could signify that she was completely healed from that. So there's complete exoneration, complete seven healing from that. And she had a fresh start from that way of walking, but was now called to follow Jesus and walk differently. So what is the next step? It's really simple. So fresh start, next step, what is it? It's to follow Jesus. It's really simple. Now, what stops us from taking these next steps? And some scholars maintain that her seven demons are synonymous with the seven deadly sins that St. Thomas Aquinas elaborated on in the 13th century. You might know them. It's pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, sloth. God, I repent for literally all of them. You know them. You know them. We know them. The apostle Paul called these seven things something different though in Galatians 5. He called them the desires of our flesh or our old way of living that gave us direction or a path to walk on. So the opposite of that is walking by the spirit. And this is what it says, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That moment when I just desperately with my kids wanted to just do whatever I wanted. But if you are led by the spirit, this is the truth. You are not under the law. 
So when we come to our fresh start moment, we really come to a fork in the road or a choice. Is one path is we follow ourselves or our flesh and another path where we engage in this fight or we walk in the spirit. And one path is where our past still defines us and our own consciousness and morality guides us. And another path where we're invited to walk with the living God who is the epitome of truth and the epitome of freedom with the spirit. So it's not a question of if we're following someone, but who are we following? So what trips us up from taking our next steps today? It's that we're following ourselves and not following Jesus. This is really challenging, but I'm just preaching from the last month of what God's been refining in me. So if it helps you, praise the Lord. This is really challenging, is that we are following ourselves and not following Jesus. What do I mean by that? Is that whenever we're left to our unconscious choice, we nearly always choose to follow ourselves. It's easier to engage with what we want rather than engage in a fight between our flesh and God. We choose the path of least resistance. And I'm not even saying you're consciously doing it. I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose. I think this is just an unconscious thing that humans do. It's what we do. We choose the path of least resistance. And so this path of a fight is a choice. It's a daily choice that we have to make. So another extremely challenging thing is that we are surrounded by and we live in a cultural moment that says that truth is relative and the authentic self is the only viable authority. What do I mean by that? Robert C. Roberts said it better than I did, can ever say it. He's an expert on Freud's influence on the West and he had this observation is that we have been led to feel that the self is sacrosanct. Just as in an earlier time, it was thought never fitting to deny God, so now it seems never right to deny oneself. So I'm not saying you couldn't have a good life if you choose a life of falling yourself. You could. It's possible. But what I'm saying is we won't inherit real life unless we engage in the fight and take our next step in following Jesus. So we see this all over scripture, following and next steps and coming back to God over and over again. And, but I want to give you three examples of three prominent, prominent people in the Bible. The first one, Mary, Mary today, we're talking about her. She was set free from her past. She followed Jesus and was transformed into someone who carried the gospel message for the first time. So there was a redemptive purpose that she followed Jesus to fulfill. The second one, Simon, he was a haughty and arrogant fisherman who was called to follow Jesus. And later, Jesus called him Peter or Rock, the apostle Peter, for which the church would be built on. He later led the first church in the ways of Jesus. And then the last one, or Saul, he was an angry, murderous Pharisee who was called to follow Jesus. He wrote the scripture we just, we just read, Later, after following Jesus and two-thirds of the New Testament, he had a redemptive purpose that helped him coach and plant churches that started the Jesus movement and why we're sitting in this room today. He's part of the reason why. So I don't want you to get this wrong because I'm not saying that each one of us can have a global or historical impact like these three. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you can have 
an individual impact. It's different. The individual impact that every single believer can have is this. There's someone in your life right now that doesn't know that Jesus doesn't want to exclude them, that God has a hope for them, that God has a plan for their life. God could use you as a redemptive purpose, as a catalyst for that life transformation to help change in eternity. It's not global, it's not historical, but it is so impactful for eternal individual importance. And Paul gives us a solution to how to take next steps in the last part of chapter five. It says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step. Let's take next steps, it's next step after next step with the spirit. And the truth is this, is that fulfillment doesn't come from feeling good or autonomy of self, but it comes from being good like our God. So dying to your old way of living and thinking it's painful. Paul likened it to a battle. And the lie that we believe is that happiness and comfort come from a vacuum or a void of pain where the truth is true comfort and happiness comes from being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of pain. So what's the difference between our desires and God's desires? It says this in scripture in Isaiah. We don't have it on the screen, but I just want to read it. It's for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking to Isaiah. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then the second scripture, you know this one, is Jeremiah 29, 11, or maybe you know it, is for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so those two separate scriptures show us two separate things. Just like I hope to show my daughter is that I want the best for her, plans to prosper her and not to harm her. But I also know better for her what's best for her, that my ways are a little higher than her ways as a two-year-old. It's the same thing with our loving God. He wants what's best for you. He wants to give you life and life to the full, but he also wants you have to also understand that he knows a little bit better than you what's good for you. He knows a little bit better what's going to be fulfilling for you. Why? Because he's God. He created the heavens, the earth. He created everything. He created you. He knows you. He knows what's best for us. So we need to realize that that he's not only the the loving father who wants what's best for us, but he knows what's best for us. And he's trying to hide the answer. This is what I love about our God. He's not hiding it. He's not trying to withhold from us what's best from us. It's just a question of who we're following. And this is the, if you write down one thing today, this is the thing to write down. If you get out your phone and write out this thing, I think it's really going to help you. This is the one thing is that our natural desires want surface level or instant. This is the thing. This instant fills you up and leaves you wanting more. But eternal fills you up and leaves you not wanting anymore. Let me say it again. Is following yourself 
fills you up and leaves you wanting more. But following Jesus fills you up and leaves you not wanting anymore. You don't have a need or a want anymore. You're in the presence or in the, the, the direction of fulfillment. Paul said in verse 18 that, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So instant is enslavement. We're slave to want. But eternal makes us free. Following makes us free. But really, I do get it because I suck at this. <laughs> is that path, the path of following Jesus, the path of a battle between our desires and God's desires in some way is not as compelling as a life of following the Spirit. And I love how Pastor said it last week is that a filling, it can be a filling life, but not a fulfilling life. It's not as compelling, but it is complete. And that is true for f- fulfillment. It's perfect freedom. It's real hope for the future. And this part is really challenging, but I was felt compelled to say it is, uh, I think following, following is hard. If we're honest, like following authority is hard, especially, like I said before, this cultural moment that we're in right now, that it's hard. Why? It's because we're, we're given two options or two extremes on either side of the spectrum. Is one extreme says that, that over opposition, to, oh, sorry, that one extreme shows us blind submission to authority and then one extreme shows us overt opposition to all authority. So these are our two choices in the cultural climate that we have. There's another way of putting it is one extremely rare, one, one extreme, it rarely questions the authority in their life, creating this unhealthy culture of submission. That's not right. That's not godly. Or the other extreme believing that all authority is not worth following because they don't have the right answers to your questions, which is not godly and and not right. But let me tell you that Jesus is authority you can question and one that you can trust. He's the person you've been looking for. I'm telling you, he's the person, he's the leader, he's, he's the, the teacher that you've been looking for all along who is actually worthy of being followed. You can do both. You can question him. You can ask the really hard, really deep questions and that doesn't, that doesn't face him and you can also trust that he's good, that he's perfect, that he loves you, that you can follow him. He's full of grace and truth. He understands what it's like to be tempted, to be mocked, to be human. He knows you. In fact, he helped make you. And he desperately wants to lead us into a fulfilling purpose. And he wants you to follow him so so we can have a glimpse of heaven before we get to heaven. He doesn't want to just give you heaven, but give you a glimpse of heaven right now.